Today is the sixth and final Sunday in the season of Lent that we've been journeying through for these past several weeks. Uh, The final week of Lent, as some of you know, is known as Holy Week. It's known as Holy Week. And though it begins with Palm Sunday, uh, joyful celebration, singing, shouting, Hosanna as, as Jesus came into Jerusalem amidst crowds of people, the final days of Holy Week look quite different. Jesus goes from parading over palm branches in a crowd to praying under olive trees in Gethsemane. We move from a song of Hosanna to the song, from the depths of my soul, I cry out. In my moments of grief, I cry out. And all of this, this movement in Holy Week, is all because Jesus once again has chosen the way of the wilderness rather than the way of the world. Right? Time and time again, we have seen him turn down comfort, fame, and power, those wilderness temptations. And instead, he has chosen trust, humility, and sacrifice. The way of the wilderness. And nowhere is this more clear than Gethsemane and Golgotha. The Garden of Olives and the place of the skull, right? We have this in our scene before us this morning. And we've been looking at it throughout all of Lent, right? These are the places that Holy Week leads us to. So if you have your Bible, open to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going this morning. We'll begin reading in verse 36 in just a moment. Uh, Today, we are going to look at one of the deepest wilderness places in Jesus' life. A place of, of trial and temptation. And this time, it does not occur out in a desert alone, but in this garden called Gethsemane, among friends. It is here that we witness Jesus crying out from the depths of his soul. So let's read this encounter together. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul 
is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the journey that you took in Holy Week. We thank you that you have once more shown us the way of the wilderness, the way of the cross. Help us to walk that way with you, we ask. As we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, we pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this passage begins with the Garden of Gethsemane, a word which means olive press. And as they approach, Jesus himself is pressed with sorrow, trouble, and overwhelming grief. As Jesus feels all of these things to the point of death, as he describes it himself, he calls over Peter, James, and John to join him in watchful prayer. And then, at the heart of this passage are the words of Jesus' prayer. Not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will but as you will. Not my will, but yours be done. These are the words that I want to reflect on together this morning. Not as I will, but as you will. You see, throughout the season of Lent, we've been looking to Jesus in the wilderness to learn from him and become like 
him. Right, and in his initial temptations that that we spent a few weeks reflecting on, uh, we've we've seen him move uh, from food to father, right, to his own self uh, sustaining, to relying on his father. We've seen him move from spectacle, throwing himself off the temple, to simplicity, right, humility, and we've seen him move from power, this offer to have all the kingdoms of the world, to sacrifice as he sets his direction toward the cross. And even throughout his life and ministry, we've seen him move from multitude to solitude. As he rejects fame and seeks time alone with God, his Father. And so today we are looking at yet one more of these wilderness movements from my will to your will. This is one more thing that we learn in the wilderness as we follow Jesus See, when Jesus is feeling overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he turns to prayer and seeks his Father's will. And I want to ask us this question. When you are feeling overwhelmed, troubled, sorrowful, where do you turn? When you're feeling overwhelmed and troubled and sorrowful, how do you respond? We turn to all different kinds of things in those moments, right? Uh, Perhaps the most drastic and, and destructive is turning to substances like drugs or alcohol, right? These things actively destroy the mind and damage the soul, leading to addiction. Uh, now, we often will, will look at the addiction on the surface and judge people as addicts for whatever has happened, but we would do well to look at the wound that's underneath that, right? We forget that most have turned to substances in the first place because of that deep wound, that they sought some kind of, of escape from, some kind of, of healing in, in some form, and they, they went there, right? We would do well to be mindful of the wound that needs healing rather than passing judgment on what we see as uh, addiction, users, criminals, perhaps, right? This is one very destructive way that many respond to these kinds of sorrowful, troubling, overwhelming experiences in life. But then there, there are other ways, right? There, there are those that we would consider much more acceptable, right? Uh, places that we turn in times of trouble, things that are not illegal, uh, are not outright sinful, uh, things like seeking comfort in food or seeking distraction and entertainment, right? I mean, I enjoy a good meal and movie along with the next person, right? Sign me up. Let's go. Um, But again, we would do well to consider, are we indulging in these things to escape something, right? 
Are we using food and fun as a kind of drug? Are we using these things to to try to bypass our pain? Perhaps we're trying to turn the wilderness stones of our lives into bread instead of being sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of God as Jesus showed us. And so this is another way that we often uh, will respond, right? We, we, we just seek comfort and, and food. We, we seek distraction through entertainment, social media. But then there's at least one more way that we often try to deal with our pain. Uh, and this one is not the, the self-destruction of drugs and alcohol. It's not the self-distraction of food and entertainment. Uh, in fact, this one looks downright spiritual. Uh, This one uh, actually sounds a lot like the words that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. You see, a lot of times when religious people face trouble, uh, we find ourselves saying things like, well, this is all part of God's plan. Or, I guess this is God's will. I was recently reading a story about a couple who had a daughter who was born with complications. And um, she wasn't even expected to survive the birth, but ended up making it. Uh, Nevertheless, she passed away at two years old uh, and had a very difficult life. The couple was devastated all along the way. Now, they had some really good community. They had family, they had friends, they had good faith community around them. But the father of this couple describes some of the things that people began to say to them after she passed. They said things like, well, I'm sure the Lord had a reason for this. Things like, I guess God just wanted her up in heaven more than he wanted her down here on earth. Have you ever heard any things like this? Uh, Maybe you've found yourself saying some things like this, either to others or, or even to your own self. Sentiments like these often have the best intentions. The best intentions. They sound comforting and reassuring. They sound spiritual, right? They sound a little bit like, not as I will, but as you will. However, instead of drawing us nearer to the heart of God, in the midst of pain, sentiments like these actually end up pulling us further from God's heart. You see, sentiments like these sound selfless. They sound very God-focused. But I believe that they're actually just as self-serving 
as drugs and alcohol and food and entertainment. Because sentiments like these are something that is called spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing. Uh, Spiritual bypassing is when we use spiritual words to bypass emotional wounds. When we use spiritual words to bypass emotional wounds. And it is just as self-destructive and self-distracting as all the other coping mechanisms that we've talked about so far. And yet, in some ways, it may actually be even worse than those things. Because spiritual bypassing uses God to numb our wounds instead of inviting God to heal our wounds. It uses God as a drug instead of approaching God as our good Father. So in Gethsemane, we do see Jesus overwhelmed with sorrow. And we see him turning to seek God and and seek God's will. But this passage is not a picture of spiritual bypassing. Right? In, In spiritual bypassing, God's will is something we use to essentially remain emotionally and spiritually passive, right? Uh, I guess it's God's will. I don't have to do anything about this. I, I guess it's God's will. You know, I, I don't, should, don't need to feel upset because whatever, right? Uh, it, it's a way of remaining emotionally and spiritually passive. But here in Gethsemane, we see God's will as something that Jesus is very actively seeking from the depths of his heart through fervent prayer. Very active. So the French philosopher Jacques Ellul has written about this passage, and he writes that in Christianity, this phrase, your will be done, has often been interpreted as this sort of blind submission to an event that we presuppose to be God's will. In other words, we often already assume that we know God's will. And we use the phrase, your will be done, as kind of like a pacifier, right? It's that spiritual bypassing. And when when we say something like this in the face of suffering and pain, uh, we tell people, oh, you know, God's will must be in there somewhere. He goes on to write, Yet, this is not at all the meaning of the request in the Lord's Prayer, Your will be done, or the meaning of the decision that Jesus made in Gethsemane. Jesus is not bypassing anything, He's not assuming anything. He is honestly coming before his Father with his whole heart and seeking him right there. 
Uh, Elul goes on to say that this prayer, not my will but yours, essentially involves four different movements, four different pieces. And so I want to share these four with you and, and, and reflect on them together as we look at Jesus in this scene and, and throughout Jesus' life. And so uh, Elul describes the four movements this way. The first one is asking to know God's will, right? Uh, we often begin by just assuming that we already know God's will. But this prayer begins from the place of asking to know God's will. Uh, the second movement is saying, God, teach me to love this will. Teach me to love this will. The third is, teach me to do this will. And then finally, help me to submit my will to your will. Those are the four pieces that we see uh, in this simple prayer, not as I will, but as you will. And so let's reflect on some of these together. First, there's asking to know God's will, right? We, we have to begin from this place of, of asking. This is very simply called discernment. Discernment. Right, The spiritual bypassing that we often engage in skips this part and just assumes whatever God's will might be. Uh, when, when we say things like, this is part of God's plan, I guess this is God's will, without actually taking time to really discern God's will, we are spiritually bypassing. When we just assume and don't take the time to really discern right? Uh, asking to know God's will means acknowledging that we don't already know it. It means beginning in a place of genuinely asking the question, God, what do you want in this situation? What is your will? And so, we enter into discernment from there. And discernment is this process where we pay attention to our own hearts, we look to God and scripture and prayer, and we invite others into that process as well. It's this communal process of listening to God and ourselves and one another. That's what discernment is. The next step, teach me to love this will, right? Is once we've discerned some of this, uh, we now want to, to actually want what God wants. We, we want to seek what, what God is saying. Uh, and, then, and then the third part, teach me to do this will, is okay, now that I, I know what God is saying and, 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 want, to, and want what God wants, well, now let, let, me, let me know how to actually do this thing. Now, we see this pattern throughout Jesus' life. We see this play out in many places throughout his life as he lives a life of, of learning his Father's will, loving his Father's will, and seeking to do his Father's will. 
you know, this process of discernment began, who were the people, right, that, that spoke into Jesus' life and faith, right? He grew up learning scripture. He grew up going to synagogue. He grew up in a family that sought after God. So he had his mind filled with scripture. Uh, he, he, he had his life shaped by patterns of prayer, right? Jesus was learning to discern his father's will from the very beginning as he grew and, and lived, right? Luke chapter two says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. So, so Jesus grew and learned and, and, and grew in these ways to discern his father's will throughout his life. And then, you know, we don't know much of his childhood, but we do see him emerge in the wilderness as he comes to John, right? And he hears John bringing the message of good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And with John, he, he asks and, and, and is baptized. And, and there he experiences the love of God. He hears that voice from the heavens, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? And so he, he is discerning God's will and he's experiencing the love of God and learning to love God. Right? This is happening throughout the course of Jesus' life. Uh, he, he discerns that the will of God is to establish his kingdom. Right? This is what God is doing. And so he sets about that throughout his life. And he loves this work of God's kingdom. This is the foundation of Jesus' preaching, right? Jesus himself takes that message that he had discerned along with John the Baptist and begins proclaiming it himself. The kingdom of God is at hand. He is seeking the will of God. He is loving the will of his Father. And then throughout his ministry, he is teaching about what kind of kingdom this is. Right? And these are things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. This kingdom is one that it belongs to those who sacrifice, not hold on to power, right? Take up your cross and follow me. It's that kind of kingdom. It's the kind of kingdom where if you seek your life, you will lose it. But to give up your life, you will find it. That's the kind of kingdom that this is. And as Jesus continues to discern his Father's will and love this will, over time, he discerns that what it looks like for him to live in that will is to come to Jerusalem, to be crucified, Arrested by the authorities, crucified, and then trusting that he will rise again on the third day. And he tells his disciple this, this multiple times. This is what it looks like for me to live into this kingdom. Peter, remember, tries to stop him. No way I'm going to let that happen to you. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? I'm not going to give in to this idea of the kingdom without the cross. And so Jesus, his whole life, has been discerning the will of his Father. He's been learning to love the will of his Father, and he has identified what it looks like for him to live into this will 
is to give up his life on the cross. This is what it looks like for him. And so he comes to the garden, the eve of this moment where all will come together. And he is wrestling with this discernment. He's wrestling with this thing. And he's coming to his father. Now, he, is, he has discerned all of this already, right? right? He's, he already knows what he's called to. He already knows what it looks like. And so when he gets to this moment, he feels overwhelmed with sorrow. He just says, well, this is part of God's plan and moves on, right? No. No. He throws himself before his father. I love Mark says that he prays, Abba, Father, right? This term of of dear endearment, Daddy God. He prays to his father. And he says, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Even after all of the discernment that he has done in listening to his father, even after all the teaching he has done on what it is to sacrifice and give up, he is sitting there with his father saying, is there another way? I just want to be sure here. Is there another way? If it's possible, take this cup from me. He believes that this is God's will. But in Gethsemane, he turns to his God once more to pray and to discern. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And he does that with his disciples next to him. Discerning together. But of course, his disciples are falling asleep. And he turns to them, verse 48, finds them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? And then he speaks to them. And he says, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, often we read these words as maybe just, you know, good advice that Jesus is giving out to his disciples that evening, right? Um, You know, pray so you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and then he goes back to praying. But I wonder if Jesus is speaking to his disciples from his own experience in this moment. I wonder if Jesus is speaking a little bit to himself. This night, Jesus says, I need to watch and pray so that I don't fall into temptation. Perhaps Jesus is saying to himself, my spirit is willing, but right now my flesh is weak. God, I know what you're calling me to. Father, I know what it looks like for your kingdom to come on earth. It looks like the cross. Oh, but my body does not want to go there. My heart is overwhelmed. Jesus speaks from his own experience here. And just like in the wilderness before, how he turned away from temptation 
time and time again and toward his father. So he does that here as well. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And so, verse 42, he goes away a second time. And he watches and prays and he says, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Right? That first time that he approached me, he said, If it's possible, can you take this from me? But after wrestling with his own temptation, he comes back to his father and says, if it's not possible, then may your will be done. If it's not possible, then may your will be done. You see, Jesus knows what it looks like for him to do his father's will. And in the garden, he is wrestling with this fourth and final movement that is described here. Help me submit my will to your will. Jack Sowell describes the difference between teach me to do your will and help me submit to your will is saying or asking God to have his will done by me and asking God to have his will done in me. Right? We, we want to do God's will, but sometimes God's will needs to happen in us in order for it to come through us. And that's what's happening in the garden. That's what Jesus is wrestling with here with his Father. Bringing his own heart, his own struggle, his own fear in alignment with his Father. And he brings his whole self to this. He knows that the kingdom is more than just words about sacrifice. It's actually living that sacrifice. And so, in this final temptation, Jesus comes to his Father once more. And with heaviness of heart and honesty, he says, May your will be done. Not what I will, but what you will. And ultimately, this kind of prayer comes not simply from knowing God's will and loving God's will. It comes from knowing God and loving God. That will is hard for Jesus to step into, but it is a will that wants to see the world remade. It's the kind of God that gives of himself. That's a God that we can love because it's a God who has first loved us. And so I want to ask us this morning, 
Where do you find yourself in this discernment of God's will? Have you found yourself often trying to skip ahead, spiritually bypass, and just move along? Maybe we don't actually know God's will. And we need to spend some time wrestling with it, discerning it, pouring out our hearts before God with others. Maybe you have spent some time discerning God's will, but you don't actually know what that looks like. Right? You don't know how to do it yet. Or maybe you know what you are called to. There is a sense of clarity as you consider your life. But there's that final wrestle of bringing and submitting my will to the will of God. There's that final movement of falling completely in love with the God who loves us and choosing him more than anything else. Where do you find yourself in all of this? My hope is that as we journey through Holy Week together this next week, that we might learn what it is to walk the wilderness way with Jesus. Not seeking our own comforts or fame or power, Not our will, but his will be done. Amen.